shall we? Are we ready, Ty? I think we're good to go. Ty, this is your first podcast. Are you are you nervous at all? Yeah, Joy, I'm usually just a producer, so I'm usually just behind the camera, but now I'm in front of the camera. I'm excited for you. Thank you. It's our first time together. Awesome. It's yeah. thrilling. Well, by the way, be the match. This place is super cool. When did you guys, when did this thing, or when, did this, when was this building built? So, good question. Be the Match is actually a little over 30 years old, but we've only been here in this building, in this location. Um, This month, actually October, is our fourth year here. And so, it's a brand new building. We literally built it from scratch. And it is our global headquarters right here in Minneapolis, which is pretty cool. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, and then just for, so we call our listeners marketing interns. And, you know, a lot of them are, you know, people in their 20s trying to navigate and find exactly what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I know I did some reading up and actually caught wind of Be The Match uh, probably back in May-ish. Um, would you be able to explain exactly what be the match is you know with everything through what is it cellular uh therapy therapy yes yes okay i'm I'm, I'm getting i'm gonna hang (laughs) bone marrow transplant and everything what you guys do sure so i'll just start first and foremost with our mission and our mission is to save lives through cellular therapy and our vision is that um is basically to democratize cell therapy so that there are equal outcomes for all because right now that's just not the case but what we do at Be The Match is amazing. We, we, each one of us here, are not once removed from that mission of saving lives. We literally are saving lives every single day. And so what we do is every single day we recruit young people who are interested in saving someone's life to our Be The Match registry. And every day we work with patients who have a blood cancer or blood disease um, who need a donor to cure them. And about 70% of the time, those patients do not have someone in their family that's a perfectly matched donor. So they're relying on our registry of strangers. Which I think is such a cool point is like you guys are literally <clears throat> saving lives because you've built a platform, this registry, mm-hmm. that allows, that basically connects the dots between, you know, me as a, as a donor and a patient who needs it. Absolutely. And so, I mean, that's happening every single day. In fact, last year, 16,278 patients came to us looking for their donor. Wow. And so we match them. And there's this like sciencey algorithm that I'm not the expert on that makes the matches. And then when the match happens, we go to wherever in the world the donor lives, wherever in the world the donor lives, and we collect either their bone marrow or their blood stem cells. And then we carry them in our two little hands wherever in the world the patient lives. And we deliver their life-saving cure. And the entire time that that's happening, we are funding the right research to ensure that outcomes are the absolute best for patients. We're providing financial assistance to patients and their families who have financial barriers to get to transplant. We're advocating on their behalf with um, their insurance companies as well at the state Um, and federal level to be sure that there just aren't barriers in the way. And we also support the donors as well. There's no cost to a donor to sign up or to follow through and donate. So so why do the the patients and the recipients need to be in the same place? You talk about bringing them together. What's the process that makes that have to happen? They literally don't have to be in the same place. That's the whole part of it. So we have... um, we send the donor to a collection center that's convenient for them wherever they live. Okay. And then we have a, a volunteer cur- courier that actually flies to wherever the donor is being collected or donating mm. their marrow. The donor donates their marrow. The volunteer's there. They pick up a bag, basically, um, of bone marrow or stem cells, and then they fly it in a cooler to wherever in the world the patient is. is that like a carry-on situation, or can you do you have to check that? <laughs> yeah, was it, Sorry. It, are we checking bags? Is this like yeah? American can I bring a airline? backpack and the bone marrow, or how does do it I get through get TSA? One? Also, yeah. oh That's a good gosh, question. <laughs> a lot of questions. Sorry, here. guys, I have a cold. We're no, you're good. <laughs> it is a carry-on. You can't let it out of your sight, mm. like ever. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, And it gets through TSA with a lot of paperwork and training that we do with the government. Okay, that makes sense. So 
I mean, you're talking to, again, a couple 22-year-old or 20-year-old guys who, um, you know, we were talking to Adam, and uh, he was saying how – sorry. Uh, it's my fault. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, we were talking about how – what is it, 77% of Caucasian males are ones who – or Caucasian males are found with a match 77% of the time, which I think is right. Check me if I'm wrong on that one, Adam, but – Fact check, um, true. Yeah, it sounds like me. We pretty much have to sign up at this point if we're willing to give our, of ourselves. How does that kind of process work, and what are kind of like? I get. How does it work? So I'll clarify a little bit. If you are a patient <coughs> and you're Caucasian, you have a seventy-seven percent chance of us finding an available perfectly mm. matched donor. If you're anything other than Caucasian and need a transplant, your chances of an available perfect match are less than 50%. Worst case scenario, if you're black or African-American, 23%. Wow. So there's a huge disparity. Yeah. And that's also kind of tough because you're looking at diseases such as sickle cell, which is only or predominantly in African or Hispanic, so you're exactly right. That's it's, a tough one. Yeah, African American and blacks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, going off of that, <coughs> the uh, if we're not, you're good. Don't worry. We're I, uh, as long as we're not getting sick. To be honest, I think we'll be all right. I would get sick for this podcast, though. Yeah, so we would. I wouldn't even be that upset. <laughs> Absolutely, like it's worth it. Yeah, I just feel bad. Great episode. No, you're good. <coughs> um, no, we. I can hear you. No, we can you, pick you up. Yeah, we okay. can pick you up. <coughs> Um, so diving into a little bit of your story and understanding, I mean, you're in this health, in this realm of healthcare philanthropy, been in it for almost 20 years now. Um, I know like, thanks for making me feel old. No, you just said you were a 20 year old and I've been working for 20 years. (laughs) You've been working for our existence (laughs) pretty much. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. But I mean, in healthcare philanthropy, which is very cool. I want to know what kind of got you kickstarted, um, into that profession. That's um, another great question that I ponder often. I mean, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't grow up volunteering for things. Um, Philanthropy also wasn't a part of um, what my family did. I mean, I grew up very, very poor. So if anything, we were recipients of Mm. other people's giving. Um, I wanted to be a police officer. Really? Oh, my gosh. No way. Yes, that's what I wanted to do. I'm still, like, super um, invested in any, like, real crime TV that happens. Um, I love it. But anyway, <clears throat> I started my career with the American Cancer Society by happenstance. I did an internship for a school resource officer who was also a volunteer <coughs> for the American Cancer Society. So when there was a job opening as a fundraiser for the American Cancer Society, she recommended me and I got the job. I was 21 years old and worked with a lot of wealthy volunteers who wanted to do something with their time, talent, and treasure. And quite frankly, I learned a lot more from them than I did in school or anywhere else. That's kind of how it started. That's amazing. I love that. The... uh so, I mean, you're sitting, what kind of turned you away or influenced <clears throat> you to go a different direction from being a police officer? All right. Now you're going to get personal. Um, my husband and I had our daughter when I was a senior in college, and um, it was too late for me to change majors at the time. <coughs> but um, because of her, I knew there was no way I wanted to go into that field. It's too much of a risk. It was too dangerous. And the divorce rate was over 50%. And so I come from divorced parents, and that just was not something I was willing to do on her behalf. Understandable. Yeah, that's crazy. And and so what kept you in? Because obviously, you know, you just had that one experience early on with that internship. What kept propelling you into this world? Because not only did you just start (laughs) your – you went headfirst into sort of this nonprofit work. Um, so it's the people, the people I get to work with. Um, I believe 
as a leader, my role is to serve others. And by working for organizations, actually by being blessed enough to work for organizations like the American Cancer Society and now be the match, I just get to fulfill that ability to serve others every single day and connect, be able to connect people's passion with their ability to do something really special. And I mean, going back to our mission at Be The Match, we are saving people's lives every single day. And I'm amazed every single day by the people we get to work with who have capacity to do transformational things at Be The Match, even when the outcomes for their family members aren't positive. We have a lot of people who lose their loved ones after transplant or lose their loved ones because we can't find a match and they want to give back and make sure that that's not the case for others. And that's really what keeps me propelled. Um, It kind of just keeps the, the fire burning in my belly. So the other thing that I would say keeps me propelled is the team that I get to work with. I, mm-hmm. um, they set the bar really high, <clears throat> and um, I strive to reach their expectations every single day as their leader. Um, and they never cease to amaze me, amaze me by the work that they do. So with your <clears throat> leadership, we, you know, we do our research here at the Back Pocket. We uh, recognize that you are Uh-oh. the chief advancement officer which is cao which when i look at that i see cow (laughs) so what is it like being a cow Mm. don't take that out of context please anybody thank you (laughs) um i think it's the best job in the world for all the reasons that i just said um it's a external facing role um which you know there's pressures that come along with that but (coughs) <coughs> it's I don't know I what does it feel like to be a cow um well I guess more inside of that you know <clears throat> you know you have CEOs or CTOs but I've never really seen a chief advancement officer so what it, within that title I guess is um what are you I know you're kind of acquiring or well, working with bigger organizations <coughs> to kind of receive or work for donations to receive or to put in your different buckets. So what is that kind of acquisition like being on the front face of all of that and, you know, kind of building those relationships? Um, Well, first of all, building those relationships is a process. And so um, I think I feel like I have to know enough about what we do here to get people excited and connected I don't have to be the expert. Other people around me are our expert, like our chief medical officer, Dr. Devine, or our CEO, Dr. Mills, who are always willing to help us out in any way to raise significant funds to advance our mission. Is that what you mean? Yes, absolutely. So what does a typical day <laughs> look like? There's not one. Um, so my role is um, international, so I travel a lot um, to work with individuals who have a lot of capacity who can help us. So I feel like I'm the one of the faces of the organization. Um, so I meet, I travel a lot and meet with, um, like I said, high-powered people who have a lot of influence and, quite frankly, can write big checks to help as many people as possible at Be The Match. And a couple knuckleheaded podcasters yeah. on like a, at like a five o'clock. Yeah. <clears throat> some high powered people in a room <laughs> making some big decisions, obviously. You guys are. You're choosing to sit here with me while I'm coughing my head off. So thank you. It's just the authentic experience. That's all it is. Thanks. That's, that's what it's all about. So, so you talked about sort of like the recruitment aspect a little earlier. I'm curious to know what that process is like. Like how are you, are you knocking on doors asking for bone marrow donations or, or how does that whole process work? So we are hyper-focused on recruiting 18 to 24-year-olds to the registry, hint, hint. Hot does. And we do a lot of our work on college campuses across the country. We do that through um, volunteers and staff. So (coughs) you can also join online just by going to bethematch.org. 
So if you are interested, you fill out an online application and ask you like some of your medical history and things like that because we're very concerned about patient safety, but we also want to be sure that um, the donor safety is front of mind as well. And so you fill out a form, you submit it, you swab the inside of your cheek with a, a buckle swab, you send that in, we type it, we test it, we know what your HLA type is, which is part of your DNA, we connect it to your registration, and then you're on our registry and available for patients who might need you. Mm. It's so, easy. Yeah, no, it sounds very streamlined. We yeah. can figure that out. Well, I think we could, yeah, put some. But the mouth. most, most, most important thing is if we call you because a patient needs you, you need to say yes. So mm. if you're not interested in saying yes, if we call you, then we don't want you to join the registry. Well, what's that process like after? So you, I get a phone call and they're like, hey, your, your time is now. You got called up to the big leagues. <clears throat> mm-hmm. what, what's the next step? So I'll show you, I'll tell you what it looks like today and then what we want it to look like in the future. Okay. So today what would happen is we would call you and we would say there's a patient that needs you. Are you willing to donate your bone marrow or your blood stem cells? And that choice is made by the patient's physician, by the way. You would say, yes, yes, I am. Of course. And we would work with you to get you to your donation date. And while we're working with you to get you to your donation date, the patient is undergoing um, conditioning, so like chemotherapy, to knock out all of their disease and immune system. So when we put your donor cells into the patient, it cures their disease. <coughs> so we do it all for you. Like we um, set up your travel, if you need to travel, hotel room, if you need to stay the night, um, if you have a companion that's going with you, we cover all of that for you to make that experience the best experience possible. What is typically the turnaround from when you do get that call? Good question. So it all depends on the patient and where they're at in their treatment and disease. So it could be in as little as 7 to 14 days, and sometimes it could take up to 3 months. Wow. So it just depends. So that's what it looks like today. And we do – last year we um, did – 6,553 transplants. So we run that same fire drill 6,553 times. Wow. In the future, what we're working on is to change the experience for the donor where we know you're never more, um, you're never younger than the day you sign up, right? And you're never more willing to donate usually than the day you sign up. So in the future, what we're working towards is that the day you sign up, we call you or text you or whatever works for you. DM maybe. Slide in the DMs. <clears throat> yeah, we can do that. Maybe. And say, when would it be con- – thank you, first of all, for joining the registry. When would it be convenient for you to donate your marrow or your blood stem cells? And we would work with you to make it convenient for you, and we would collect your marrow or your blood stem cells, and we would bank them, basically mm. – Oh. And they would be ready and available whenever the patient needed it, which could be tomorrow or whenever. But the point is they're sitting somewhere available for when a patient needs it. And we didn't have to run you through a fire drill. We made it convenient for you. So you wouldn't have to miss finals or your family vacation or whatever yeah. could happen when we call you six months from the day yeah. you signed up. That's super interesting. So when... Um, how long are those stem cells, I guess, active for? Are they, when you put them in a bank, are they good for as long as you need them for? Yes, they're frozen, or the science word is cryopreserved. Whoa. Okay. Cryopreserved. So you guys, uh, is this something that's currently being built out, or is there, how how far out are we thinking we're, for this? We're, um, we're currently in the testing phase of it to be sure that um, everything works. <clears throat> We've collected a few donors who um, their their cells are being stored in a biobank right now. But um, every <coughs> every patient that receives cord blood, so when a, a mom has a new baby, she can donate her cord blood to a public bank, and we have access to it for patients in need. Every single one of those cord bloods is already cryopreserved, so it's happening already. 
every time a patient um, has a disease where they can use their own stem cells, which happens occasionally, um, they donate their own stem cells, they're cryopreserved, they go, undergo treatment, and then they're given back to them. Um, and then about, I don't know, 3 to 6% of the time, I think, we're um, cryopreserving what we collect from unrelated donors because, remember I shared the process, we go to wherever the donor is, we collect their stem cells, and then we carry it in our two little hands to wherever the patient is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's an issue with the patient where they can't receive the cells on the day that they scheduled, and yeah. so we cryopreserve. Temporarily. Yeah, about 3 to they... 6% of the time. Wow. So we're not bending like the laws of physics or time. Right. We're just going to be doing it more often, so it's convenient for the donor. Yeah, and when you input that convenience factor, now you're also I mean, preserving and stockpiling a, probably a lot more. <clears throat> um, so walk me through how that would work then. So are we, are you guys going to be able to scale, or are, are you expecting to scale your curability? Absolutely. Um, what we will believe will happen is not only will the experience be better for the donor, but... <clears throat> not all the time can we deliver when what the patient needs exactly when the patient needs it because we're running the same fire drill all the time. Mm-hmm. And that timing doesn't always match up. And so there's real consequences for patients. Um, and so this would allow us to meet those needs immediately because the product that they need would be stored somewhere. So you could think about it kind of like Amazon, Amazon a bone marrow. <laughs> Um, we could just deliver it if it was banked somewhere. You can deliver it on demand, streamline the process. Absolutely. There you go. And, and it's, I mean, it's obviously organized by each type of blood type and there's, uh, that's how you would find those matches much quicker and you know how many matches there would be. Exactly. Not Jeez. blood type, but Sorry. HLA type, which is the part of your DNA. DNA. Okay. My blood type's useless. <clears throat> I'm the universal recipient, so. Well, we, blood type has nothing to do Sweet. with what we do, yeah. so. Um, basically, you know, I shared the 16,278 patients came to us last year looking for their donor. We only delivered that 6,188 times. So there was a gap of 10,090 patients who didn't, we didn't find their donor for. Um, and so this could help us solve some of that problem if we already had it banked. And because of that, we know what the need is. We know what the most commonly used HLA types are, and we would seek those out to be in that bank so that we could just be delivering. Yeah. No, that's super cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. Are there is there any uh, – I just actually saw a tweet that you retweeted not too long ago about the Minnesota um, student who just met his donor for the first time. Now, before we get into that story, what I recognized was kind of the timeline of the whole donor patient relationship so you're not allowed to meet your patient until you're done donating and they've gone through their whole process is there even more duration in there that i'm missing yes so it depends on the country actually if both the patient and the recipient are from the u.s it's a one-year wait so why is that it's to protect the donor okay um just in case there was anything adverse that happened to the patient, we don't want our donors to feel obligated to do anything more than what they've already done. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Um, so if both the patient and the recipient or the recipient and the donor are from the U.S., it's one year before they can meet. But they can have um, communication that we manage, anonymous communication that we manage after six months. Okay, cool. Yeah, so this story, did you see this one? No. Yeah, so I can't remember the guy's name specifically, but they Kyle met. Kyle Tanner. Yeah, they met on the field for the first time, I think a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. right? That's insane. At homecoming. Yeah, that's awesome. And one, are, were they both students or one was a student? Actually, Kyle wasn't a student. He was being treated at the Masonic um, Children's Hospital mm-hmm, on campus, and PJ Fleck um, befriended him because he visits the patients there quite frequently and they're both from Michigan and then um Kyle's donor is from Germany so they had to wait two years whoa 
That is crazy. Mm-hmm. So do you guys handle like all of the <coughs> connections to when it finally happens? Yes, we do. It's yeah, super cool. So fun. Yeah, I was going to say, so what is, um, if you had one story that you could share or um, is near and dear to your heart, what would that be? Oh my gosh, that's hard. I know, that's a very hard question. <laughs> Kyle was pretty near and dear to my heart because I've um, had the opportunity to meet Kyle a long time ago and knew how important this was to him and his family, but... I guess the other story, they're all so special. Um, The other story that comes to mind is of one of our board member sons. Um, They live in Houston, Texas, and Blake is 11 years old, and he was diagnosed with leukemia and needed a donor. And remember, I shared your HLA is part of your DNA, and your DNA is part of your ancestry. And Blake only had one donor on the entire registry, and she was from Israel. And so um, just figuring out that process was not easy, knowing that she was Blake's only hope at a cure was also pretty, you know, the stakes are high, and um, she did it. She donated and we actually were able to get her and her dad to the United States earlier this year to meet Blake and his family in Houston, which um, I don't know if you've ever tried to get someone from Israel to the United States, but there's a lot of stuff. <coughs> now I'm getting you sick. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, working around the circle. There's a lot of stuff that you have to, like visas and, I mean, just all sorts of stuff that you have to work yeah. through. But um, it, she was 19 years old. Wow. And for, I just think it's remarkable that a 19-year-old young woman who joined because she, um, when you joined the Israeli army, which every citizen has to join the army in Israel, that's what she, you can either choose to be a marrow donor or an organ donor. You just got to check a box. And she checked the marrow one and ended up being Blake's only perfect match on the registry. And we were able to bring her here and now they're like best friends and part of each other's family yeah i think that's just so crazy it, it i think it just talks about or just makes you <clears throat> consider sort of the interconnectedness we all have like there'd be no o- other consideration for blake to meet this 19 year old girl from israel but no way now they have this like just unbreakable connection i'm sure for the rest of their lives they do they facetime with each other all the time which i mean that's so common among the donor recipients they're you know, just become a part of each other's families. It's it's the one to one connection that's created, and I'm I don't even think Be the Match can take credit for it because <coughs> people sign up for this registry because they're altruistic and they want to do something, they want to save someone's life, and they can do that while they're still alive. Like, who gets the chance to do that? Um, it's just incredible. Every time I meet a donor, just to hear their story of what inspired them to join the registry is probably not super unique to anyone else, but what inspired them to follow through always is, and it never fails. They always say, I can go through anything if it means saving someone else's life, and um, most of the time, these donors are very young individuals and I'm just so inspired like I'm just so inspired by this generation who are willing to do something that's way bigger than themselves it's incredible and I applaud you for saying that like thank you but at the same time and it is um being able to realize and recognize like we had a, a girl by the name of Chelsea Larson who donated her kidney to a college roommate who she really did not know but just kind of felt this tug at her heart to do so. And she's like, do not look at me as the hero because it's not really that it's pretty, it takes a pretty average skill to donate your kidney. And so, you know, going and looking more into donation for my own sake, I found be the match. And it's, it's so cool because you talk about that empowerment and the, the ability to change someone's life by, you know, going in, being a healthy person and, you know, just being willing to have your blood drawn. Like that's as crazy as it sounds, that's all it is. But what you're, the impact you're able to make on the opposite side is so incredible. And I think it's so cool. 
I mean, these patients, they don't have any other options. Yeah. Period. And so it's a life or death situation. Yeah, I agree. It's insane. <clears throat> um, so I wanted to tap more, you know, back into you a little bit and knowing that you came to be the match in 2016. Mm-hmm. What was your original draw to uh, come here? So I didn't think I had one, and I was perfectly happy where I was at, um, loving life. And um, I got a call from a recruiter asking me if I'd be interested in a role at Be The Match, and I didn't even know what Be The Match was. And um, I said no. (gasps) And I went home that night to tell my husband about this call I got. And I would get those calls frequently. But for whatever reason, I felt compelled to tell him about this one. And he was like, well, what's be the match, a dating service or something? And I was like, I don't know. And so he Googled it. And right away, blood cancer popped up on the homepage. And my dad had been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma about two weeks before I got that call. Oh, wow. wow. So... I really do believe this here at Be The Match is that everything happens for a reason. So I ate some humble pie and I called the recruiter back and I was like, okay, maybe I would be interested in learning more about this role. And so I went to breakfast with her and um, she was late to the breakfast. And so I was super annoyed and I was like, okay, like this, I'm not. But then I was like, okay, she's not part of the organization, you know. And I left that breakfast, and she called me and said, I want you to meet the CEO of Be The Match. So that started a six-month <clears throat> interview process <laughs> Wow! for the role. I met with every single board member, every single executive team member, which paid off in the long run because when they offered me the role, I already had these existing relationships, which was great. Wow. So that's how that happened. And I am so happy um, that I'm here, that I, um, I guess, had the courage to eat some humble pie and call her back. (laughs) No, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. What are, like, what are some challenges that that you face? I mean, you obviously talked about diversifying the pool and stuff like that, but like in your day to day, what are, what are some things that, that you struggle with? As a leader or at Be The Match? We can go both. I'll start with a leader. Yeah. There's no rules around here. Um, as a leader, the thing that keeps me up at night is, um, am I, am I giving the team the autonomy to make their own decisions around what impacts their work, which is ultimately our work? Am I giving them the tools and resources they need to be successful? And do they know, um, how much I believe in them so as a leader those are like the things I I struggle with as an organization um, I already talked about the gap that we have when it comes to um, not being able to find um, people with diverse backgrounds a donor from a philanthropic standpoint what we struggle with is oftentimes We, the, those of us that work in the foundation around fundraising, we don't always know the families that we help. And mm-hmm. those families are the most giving most of the time. And so I feel like we're <coughs> successful despite ourselves. Yeah. Okay. So when you're going and uh, recruiting, I mean, you're recruiting pretty much our demographic of mm-hmm. 18 to 24 year olds. Um, what has kind of been your strategy or um, most effective way to tapping into uh, this generation that does really want to give? Um, to give to for fundraising? Well, I would. Well, we're or more to, to join the registry. To join the registry, I'd no. say. So we're hyper focused on recruitment on college campuses, <clears throat> and um, that's been helpful for us. It hasn't necessarily helped us diversify the registry. So what we're more focused on there in our minority communities, especially with historically black colleges and universities, is building relationships 
before we make an ask to join the registry. Building relationships, educating those um, college students and those communities around who we are, what we do, and why they matter for the patients that we serve. What are, what are like some stigmas that people might have? So like you go up, <clears throat> you talk to somebody, um, I would say something for me like bone marrow transplants, I've heard those are painful. And mm-hmm. I'm, and you know, it's surgery, so like it's going to hurt, but I heard like those are especially painful and like hard to deal with. So what are some, what are some other stigmas? How do you respond to those? Yeah. So first I'll say these are real things that we hear from focus groups um, uh, around the country. So one is, let's just be honest, this country hasn't really treated some of our minority populations that well when it comes to healthcare in general. Think about Tuskegee Airmen. I mean, these are things, even though they happened way before you guys were born, it's part of history and it's part of what families talk about. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the story of um, Henrietta Henrietta Lacks and what happened with her DNA, but anyway, I won't get into that story. But long story short, this um, country hasn't always treated minority communities that well, especially in the healthcare space. So one stigma is we do ask people to swab the inside of their cheek. And so people want to know what we're going to be doing with their DNA. We don't give that to anyone. We only use it and we only use a piece of it, their HLA to type so we can match them to a patient. But sometimes we can't even get past that to answer the questions. It's just an automatic no, because you're going to swab the inside of my cheek. The other thing, you know, you've heard, maybe you've heard that bone marrow um, extraction is painful. Um, that's a stigma where we have to talk about all the time. Um, and so it's painful. Um, some people don't, so, I mean, some of the things we've heard, people have thought like we actually take out a part of their femur, you know, their leg bone or something like that. Um, so we're overcoming a lot of obstacles so lack of trust you know um and then just all of the thoughts around pain that result yeah. from bone marrow transplant what is the recovery time is it i think i read some like 30 days or something like that most people get through it after that yeah it definitely it can be um if you give marrow so i'll back up there's two t- ways to donate one is um through a marrow a bone marrow extraction, which is probably exactly what you think it is, but it's an overnight stay in the hospital. You're under gen- general anesthesia, and your your hip bones are poked to extract bone marrow, a liter and a half. And it's not the the extraction of the bone marrow that hurts; it's the poke of your of your hip bone. Right. <coughs> so, depending on how many times you have to be poked is you know what the pain results or comes from Mm -hmm. um and so a lot of donors tell us it feels like they had a really hard squat workout or um they bumped their hip really hard on the corner of a counter but yeah it could take you know four to six weeks to recover from that i've never met a marrow donor who said they wouldn't do it again though right and then the other way really is a specialized blood donation. And so for five days before you donate, we give you an injection to boost up your your blood count. Um, and then you go to a donation center and you get an IV in each arm. We take your blood out of one arm. It gets spun around in a machine. We collect your stem cells and then we give you everything else back. Oh. Um, and so you're fine after you're you walk out of there. Wow. Okay. So is that um, a popular route to go through? It sounds like that's a newer option possibly. It's the most popular route. In okay. fact, about 70% of the time, that's what the patient's physician chooses is the specialized blood donation. But I will tell you, if you're donating on behalf of a pediatric patient, more than likely they're going to request marrow as opposed okay. to specialized blood draw. Cool. And I know you guys have some campaigns going on right now as well. Mm-hmm. In October, 
um, which is I know we're coming to an end. This show, this podcast will come out on the twenty eighth, so three days left in this campaign. All right. But <clears throat> what? Remind me again what that campaign was called. So this is, called? is our fund F U N D fest. Um, fund fest. And I get it. <laughs> basically, it gives anyone the opportunity. What we want people to do is create a fundraising page on our platform called. Um, team be the match so to do that you can visit be the match.org forward slash fund fest f-u-n-d-f-e-s-t and um, the the gist of it is if you're going to host a halloween party or a holiday party of some type instead of asking your guests to bring a gift to ask them instead to make a contribution to be the match oh, via sweet. your page. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Back so you can you get on that. Ac- you, you totally yes. sure so should. I'd love to see that. Does it end in October though? Or if we create a page, could we keep continue to roll over funds or have that link or page be open for like say back pocket or anybody go- going through it? Yeah. You can keep your team be the match page up for as long as oh, you cool. want to. Yeah. It's sweet. a great online fundraising platform. Awesome. I love that. And then coming up in November, you have another one, right? We do, which is Give to the Max Day, which honestly isn't specific to to be the match. So this is a huge nationwide effort. Um, A lot of um, markets take um, or participate in Give to the Max Day, and it's on November 14th this year. Sweet. And again, you can give to that um, at bethematch.org forward slash give. Sweet. And both of those will be in the show notes for anyone listening. We'll make sure we hit that big time because we got to make it happen. Yeah. Yes, please. That would be great. Make page. Yeah. Um, so transitioning a little bit to the back pocket core questions. Yes. Um, these are always our favorite. This is a great time for us. Um, you don't know him, but Andrew, he's our other co-host. And if you've ever listened to our podcast before, the guy has the <coughs> best transitions to our core questions of all time. I'd say this one might be the worst. Yeah, we just said it. We just, we just said, said it. we are going we to just, ask these questions We just now. went right to it. Good job, guys. Yeah, Good so, job. You, know, you put me on notice. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to make sure. Yeah, maybe that's something we should consider. Oh, is yeah. Like, just like prep them. Or we could get a sign where it just says, coming not <laughs> we pull up. Coming yeah, in five minutes. Like, <laughs> questions. Exactly. But our first question that we always ask is, what is your average quality? Now... This is something that you care about, but are not necessarily the best at yet. And we always kind of describe it as something you're good at sometimes, not so good at other times. At the end of the day, you're average. So, Joy, what would your average quality be? My average quality is um, my mouth and the language I choose to use. You've been pretty good here today. I've been on my best behavior. I love to cuss. For real? I do. What's your favorite swear word? We can bleep it out. Yeah, we, well, we can. We swear on this podcast all the time. It's not a big deal. But I just, I'm curious because there's a, a ton of great ones. The F word. And if you asked anyone, my best friend has a great impression of me, and it's basically me just <laughs> saying that word over and over and over mm. again. I think there's an art to the F word, though. Yeah, you can only use it when it's appropriate, when you're trying to make a real, like, statement and punch or. Yeah, if I'm really upset about something, it's coming out. That's how we know. Yeah, That's I would, how you know. I, I do not like the people who just kind of throw it around haphazardly because then it loses its value because it is a strong word. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I'll just say, though, like I'm never going to say F you. Like I won't say, say that. With but malintent to someone else. No, 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 no. It's only like to really drive home a point, something I'm super passionate about. Okay. Do you have like a, like a group of four that you circle around? Is your vocabulary pretty diverse in terms of cuss words well i don't i that tends to be my go-to okay word yeah i don't know <laughs> why you don't get creative with it sometimes I, there I, any adjectives in there maybe, uh, maybe maybe but i don't use a lot of other cuss words okay do you and, know the f word in multiple languages Ooh. no but maybe i should learn because yeah. then it could protect me a little yeah. bit right yes Note to self, yeah, learn F self. words in other languages. I also have another idea. Yes. Um, anytime you say the F word, you should have to donate. I should money have to do that. Of I, your own. Mm-hmm. I should. I can do that. A little donation jar. Yeah. yeah. On the desk. I think that'd be really fun. Okay. And if we, I know if, I don't know if Be the Match does vlogs, but I mean, we could do vlogs of, you know, like Day in the Life of Joy. And, you know, every time you're saying the F word, <laughs> I hope there's another hundred right there. We should try that. Well, that would be very Adam, fun. 
hundred. I try not to use it in this building, but occasionally I do. Yeah, next campaign. Yeah, we we come up with just campaign ideas. That's pretty much what pretty much what it comes down to. It could be called give a f word. Yeah. Oh yeah. There you go, dude. Thank you. Good Which, one. Thanks, kid. Yeah, we we just come up with <clears throat> ideas here at the back pocket. I Left love right. it. I love um, it. So what I also do, um, in in terms of swearing, uh, every Lent, I will try to give up swearing, but I'll keep track of how many I swear, and I'll usually go into like a competition with like my friends or sisters um and if they whoever loses has to always do something kind of crazy um the the the, we haven't really done much crazy things yet but i had to buy dinner for like eight people because i lost last year it's kind of sad so you had to take a hit to the yeah bank account yeah but it's not that big of a deal now because i'm like out of college and stuff so you know, it's you have a real job. I have a real job. It's it feels good to like have money in your account. You don't have to like worry about doing math all the time. So that's been a, that's been an absolute thrill in itself. Good for you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, Deck has some money in his back pocket. Oh, it sounds of like absolutely. Another question we like to ask is what is in your back pocket? So this is when uh, anxiety becomes stress, pressure is rising, and you pull this out of your back pocket to deal with those situations. Yeah, I knew you guys were going to ask this question, and I've thought a lot about this, and um, I hope it doesn't sound too cheesy, but um, I always um, think about our daughter. So she's 21 years old. Um, She's a senior in college. Um, I love her to death. I'm sure Adam and the rest of the team get tired of me talking about her, but she's a Division I um, college athlete. Nice. And um, she was born with a heart defect. And I think I already shared with you I was in college and when we had her, nor I wasn't prepared, obviously, to be a parent, nor to be a parent of a child who had a heart condition. And so um, the first couple years of her life were um, – really hard but she never ceased to amaze me and she's overcome so much adversity and now um she is fulfilling one of her dreams which was to play soccer at a division one level at a big 12 school and um I feel like there's absolutely nothing that I should be complaining about or not be grateful about if she can do that and she's 21 years old And so I just approach things with an attitude of gratitude all the time. And the key to that is I have other people in my back pocket that hold me accountable to that. I know who they are. They're my accountability partner. She's one of them. She might not always know it, but um, when I need, like, someone to check me, I'll call her or uh, call my husband or there's a few people here at work. But she's always always on my mind and in my back pocket when I am having a crummy attitude about something. I love that so much. (laughs) Thank you. That just makes me super happy. You made my day. Oh, wow. That's so cool. So I really want to just dive in real quick on, I mean, those first couple of years after you graduate college, you know, having, uh, your daughter going through, you know, your work life for the first time, really trying to figure out like, okay, who is joy? What is Joy going to do? How is she going to come out on top? Um, can you walk me through a little bit like of how you accomplished everything? Because look at yourself now. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think what I would say is my husband and I just approach things as we have no option but to succeed. And the reason why is because of our daughter. Like she made us both a better people. Um she um the first couple years in addition to being in and out of the hospital all the time she was on a clinical trial um a drug that um was in a research phase like we didn't know if it was going to work if it was going to cure her or not and um we lived like every minute of our life like just focused on her like is she gonna live you know and until it just became part of who we are and part of what we did. But just, I mean, she walked way ahead of schedule. She talked way ahead of schedule. Um, And so, again, everything happens for a reason. And we didn't know any better. I mean, we were 21 and 22 years old. We didn't 
we didn't know what to do and we didn't know what not to do. We just knew like we needed to be better than what we were yesterday on behalf of our daughter. And so like it just drove us both to be um, good parents, good people, um, and know that someone someone went before us, you know, like even the health systems that she was, um, the hospital she had to go to, people gave to those health systems to make the experience for families and children a better place. Mm. So just approaching things with, you know, like I said, an attitude of gratitude um, on her behalf, I think is what got me here. It's amazing. I don't, I honestly don't know what I would be doing right now if I didn't have her. Like, I I don't. Absolutely. And I I think what's really cool about uh, what you were really getting at is, like you and your husband were living so presently because that's all you had. You didn't know if you had any more years or days with your daughter and you were being very grateful of what you've already had and the opportunities that you were given. And then applying that to, I know like people always say, Oh, what makes you successful? What makes you successful? Where you, you mentioned success was the only option. You guys were battling every single day and trying to just get a little better because really that's all it is at the end of the day like we can't accomplish our greatest goals overnight it takes years and years and years of practice and i think what you're describing what your story is is a great example of that thank you i just i would also say i mean we had a great support system absolutely our friends um our family they were all there for us but it w- really was her that kind of she was the synergy of it all yeah the bond that's like me you have to kid deck <laughs> right now which is kind of crazy no, no no well that uh, yeah in terms yeah. of age absolutely but like it's funny it because is. yeah our kid is the back pocket all we do is True. you know little baby we nourish and feed a, a podcast which is i know nowhere yeah. even near close to a child <laughs> but but yeah. a lot of work nonetheless. but a, yeah. but a lot of work nonetheless um it's all a challenge and one thing that we really enjoy here on the back pocket is challenging the guests that we have on our show that now you're in the network who do you think we should have on the show next or someone that is in your network Uh, another really great question um i've thought a lot about this one too and um if i say someone you guys are going to ask me to help you aren't you It'd be appreciated. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> like you're not, but it's not. This is not legally binding, but we would like yeah. your help. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, I was thinking about this and your demographic, and I don't know if you have ever heard of the Lemons for Leukemia Challenge that took place about a year ago. But basically, we're two best friends about y'all same age one of them um, had leukemia and needed a transplant and had a bucket list of things that he wanted to do just in case and his best friend dropped out of college and helped him fulfill the bucket list and they set a world record for the number of people that joined the registry in one day Um, and so I would challenge you guys to get them on um, the back pocket and um figure out how you can partner together they are amazing they got the rock to tweet um about lemons for leukemia so yeah we'll make it happen yeah that would be good that's amazing um wow that's super cool so they just went around like the entire country or just had like a how many what was their list looking like in terms of the things that they did um feeding homeless people um i think they jumped out of an airplane um breaking the world record um a lot of it was like about paying it forward nice. and um it was they just did a remarkable job so yeah. we'll connect you guys no that sounds amazing and <clears throat> that was another thing that was like kind of on my mind as we were kind of going through this and what i really appreciate about um be the match is like every story is so unique at the same time every story is so powerful podcasting is a great way to basically unpack dive in on stories through time you mm-hmm. can't tell some of these stories in two minutes or a 30 second instagram video so or true. anything it's much more 
there's so much more depth because there's, I mean, two people, two totally different stories coming together. And, and like you humanize the whole thing because when you put your name on the registry, it's so hard to comprehend the idea that you could be helping save somebody's life. But then when you get a story like that or when you get a story of two people um, that it actually happened where one person was solely responsible for saving another person's life, like that's, that's so powerful. That's yeah. incredible. I've never experienced anything like it until I came to be the match and it never gets old never gets old yeah that's awesome and I can I mean I feel that passion in you like you coming at coming in here firing on all cylinders uh, even when you're sick which is you know who cares right? I'm sorry guys no no, no it's actually yeah. more impressive it was more impressive it was your Jordan game on a podcast which oh. is like, so wow. impressive let me you go yeah. let me get the jersey I should have worn my shoes yeah you yes. could have sold them after absolutely so <laughs> but it, it what's really cool about the whole thing and is now, like you mentioned, uh, lemons with or was lemons for, lemons for leukemia. Lemons for leukemia. Chris, and Dylan. Chris and Dylan, like that's a story in itself, right? That is like the penultimate feel good story. Absolutely. All of these stories are feel good stories in one way or another. Those guys were the ones that just chose to, you know, really attack it, publicize it, and go for the moon almost. Yeah. They're with podcasts and how social media and just media in general nowadays work. Like that is amplification at its finest and when we're talking about i mean real people one saving another person's life i mean these things are as human as it gets and i think i i think that would be a great idea for you guys to just have to to a donor and a patient come on and just have podcasts of their stories together and they just have a conversation for an hour about how they met each other how it all came to be i mean it would be years later probably you can't do it right away but i mean that is those are powerful stories we just left to do a pitch. I yeah. mean, if, Sorry, you guys, I <laughs> if you guys are offering, I'm being serious. We're bringing a donor and recipient together on, oh, shoot, I can't tell the date, in November. Okay. TBD. But I can't share it. We be And I think they would be happy to be interviewed if you guys are interested here in the Twin Cities. Perfect. I'd be happy to do something like that. Okay. We can probably set something up. All right. But this would be a time uh, now in the podcast where, you know, pat ourselves on the back. We've been asking good questions for now 57 minutes. Wow. Um, good job, guys. Yeah, thank, thank you. No, you. And congratulations been, to you. You've been fighting through a cold, and it's been probably more impressive. How have you been answering the questions? You're going to have to, like, disinfect this mic. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about that, but that's a great idea. <laughs> it's a really good idea. Not that people are, like, licking the mics or anything, yeah. but uh, just to be sure. Just to be sure. These could probably all use kind of a cleaning. Yeah, they could. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Um, but... We, you know, we've been asking you a lot of questions. We'd like to give you this time if you have any questions for us. So I will ask you guys a question. One um, is if you would be interested in participating in one of our campaigns by setting up a page and encouraging. I think what would be super great is if you all could encourage your listeners to consider joining the registry um, to help save a life. And if they're so inclined to make a contribution but really – what would be most meaningful if um, we could get more people to join the registry because of your leadership. Oh, yes. Absolutely. We'll make it happen. I think it's been a good podcast like to help that because like a lot of the questions that we ask, like we're, you know, we're two knuckleheaded podcasters. We don't know much. And so maybe we're asking the dumb questions that people are too afraid to ask. And hopefully we're just we're just giving some answers. And, yeah. You know, putting some people at ease about it. For yeah. sure. I love that. That is a great question. And I'm, I'm absolutely all in on it. So you have our the back pocket staple approval. I have um, one more question. Yes. Can I ask mm. it? Of course. What is in y'all's back pocket? Oh, that's, Ooh, good. that's really good. Man. Um, right now in my back pocket is, it's, no, it's very cheesy, Ty, <laughs> but it's humility. Um, simply from the standpoint of I can pretty much commonly say, like, through all the things I do well and through all the things that I'm terrible at, I love staying at that even keel, humble line of knowing that I can never be the best and I'll never be the worst. Um, and I've attacked that pretty much every single day, um, especially within these last couple months where, I mean, we're churning out three podcasts a week. My job is kind of getting insane. And then I I am also a stand-up co- comedian. You are? Yeah. So I just like booked my first show and I'm like stressing out about Congratulations. jokes and stuff. Thank you. I appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, we there's love to go to live comedy. You'll have to let me know yes, when that absolutely. is. Absolutely. November 9th at uh, Underground Music Cafe right over okay, here. Okay, cool. Um, 
but it's it's stuff like that where I I can I always like look in inward and just feel um I feel a lot of pressure, I feel a lot of stress, I feel like I'm burning out. Like, oh my gosh, I'm putting in so many hours towards this podcast. I'm trying to find ways to tell new jokes and at the same time like show up at my day job where I'm working, you know, however many hours a week and like I'm getting paid to do that. I need to be the best I can possibly be, but just understanding that I'm going to be an average even keel guy and that I, every day I have a different chance to win or get a little bit better. Like you're saying, I would say that's what's in my back pocket right now. Yeah. We talk a lot about being humble around here and what humble isn't is self doubt. And that's mm. clear, like what, how you just defined it. And so I think by what you guys are doing with this podcast and the people, I mean, I looked at your list, the people that you have on here are incredible. And so I, I think you, um, need to realize that by telling these stories, you are changing the world. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Ty. Mine is kind of similar. Just actually maybe a little cheesy, but it's, <clears throat> it's like perspective. So I'm, I'm younger than Declan. I also usually produce this podcast. So I'm not usually here. So this is a big moment for me. Well, you did a good um, job. Well, thank you so much. Good work, um, I appreciate that. I, uh, so I'm, I'm just 20. I'm a junior at the university of Minnesota. And so perspective is a big thing for me. I, I think I often get caught up in, in thinking I need to be doing more in a lot of different arenas. And I think when I take a step back and look at all the things I'm already doing, like, you know, whether it be this podcast or, or work or a number of other things that I need to realize that I'm fine. I'm on the right path. I don't need to worry. I'm, I'm doing things as well as I can be doing them. And that's all that matters. And so there's really no point about stressing the, the little stuff because it's really, I need to take a more macro vision sometimes to a lot of things I'm doing. Absolutely. I tell um, my team members this, but also our daughter this all the time when it comes to perspective is, um, especially for her, um, don't take anything for granted. And so when she, you know, steps out on the field, just to take a minute to let it all sink in and not everybody gets to do what you do. There are, I tell her all the time, there are little girls who are fighting for this chance to do what you do. Don't take it for granted and let it sink in because one day you're, you're not going to be on that field or in that uniform Absolutely. anymore. And so I think having perspective is key um, and something you'll need to have for the rest of your life. So yes, I love that you said that. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for the great questions. They yeah. were so good. And we are on our final question. Any other questions? Zach? Nope. Final question. Our favorite question. It is what did you learn today from the moment you woke up to when we're talking now? Um, I think I was reminded of, um, why I do what I do because of the questions that you guys asked. So thank you for reminding me of that, for helping me, um, have perspective and a reminder to be humble there you go. about how, um, we approach our work at Be The Match. Um, and I was also reminded of just how giving your generation is. And I think a lot of times you guys catch a lot of slack or, you know, there's not always super positive things out there. I'm a, do you consider yourself a millennial? No, we're no. actually Gen Z. Gen Z. Because Both, no, right? Yeah, yeah, 95 is like the... You're like the elder Gen The cutoff. Yeah, I'm an older Gen Zer, okay. but nonetheless... Yeah. Well, nonetheless, I don't think you guys always have super positive things floating out there in the world about mm -hmm. your generation. And um, I think you are probably one of the greatest generations to live because of what is happening at Be The Match. So thank you. Hey, stand on the, we can see far because we stand on the shoulders of giants. Oh, so there very you go. good. good very you. good. Yeah. Good one. Yes, it well, was great. Well, thank you so much. And I'm glad you were kind of able to, you know, reflect. I don't think, I don't, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if everybody's asking you about your life story for an hour every single day. No. Nor are you feeling or having to talk about it as well. So I'm glad, like, we were able to bring that out of you today. And, I mean, I hope you get better, obviously. We got to get some sleep. Thank you. I'm glad, too. I'm glad I got to reflect on it, too, um, for all of the reasons. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining. Thank you, guys. That's a wrap.